Hi, everyone, and welcome to Women on the Edge of Evolution, Awakening Our Power to Co-Create Our Lives and Shape Our Collective Future. My name is Paula Dowd, and I'm the Program Director of Feminine Power Global Community, the organization producing this event. I'm delighted to welcome you to Part 33 in our series today, featuring honored guest Alanis Morissette on the topic, Authentic Power, Stepping Up and Stepping Out in Service to Our Collective Evolution. But before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank all of you for your active participation in this dialogue, both on our Feminine Power Global Community Facebook page and on the Women's Evolutionary Cafe following each call. As of this week, we have over 9,000 members in our Facebook community, and we continue to be inspired by the incredible support and enthusiasm that is coming in from all corners of the globe. If you haven't yet jumped into the conversation and would like to connect with other women who are participating in the series, we encourage you to join us. You can find the link to our Facebook page in the confirmation email we sent you for today's call. We also want to thank our co-sponsors for all of their support in making this series possible. If you're joining us for the first time today, the way the call will work is that I will introduce Catherine Woodward Thomas, who is one of the two visionary women behind this groundbreaking series, and then she will introduce Alanis and today's call topic and process. Catherine is the co-creator with Claire Zamet of our Feminine Power Transformative Courses designed just for women. Together, they co-lead a global learning community that's dedicated to empowering women to realize their highest potentials and make their greatest contribution. Catherine is a national best-selling author and co-creator of our Feminine Power Transformative Courses, as well as other transformational teachings that have successfully been used by thousands of people worldwide. She's a highly trained specialist in transformative education with over 15 years of experience designing and facilitating seminars that support the emergence of life-altering shifts in consciousness, both individually and collectively. Catherine's coaching and facilitation integrates her 17 years of training and work as a psychotherapist with over 38 years of spiritual practice and study, and it serves as a powerful bridge between the two disciplines. She is also co-author of the forthcoming book, Feminine Power, Awakening to the Creative Force of Life. So welcome, Catherine, and I know I speak for all of us when I say how much we are looking forward to your dialogue with Alanis today. Thank you, Paula. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Women on the Edge of Evolution. I'm Catherine Woodward Thomas. I'm so honored and delighted to be here with you all today to continue this ongoing inquiry into our role in co-creating the future of our world. I want to thank each of you for being in the center of the inquiry with us and discovering your own authentic voice and for generating ways to consciously co-create a world that reflects deeper levels of care and profound well-being for everyone. So for those of you who are just joining us, I want to welcome you into the conversation. We have over 50,000 women from all over the world who are listening to this call each week, and that's really reflective of how we are really ready to take on becoming active agents of change in the world. So I just want you all to know that you are an integral part of something that's really big and beautiful that's just waking up for all of us. And for those of you who would like to connect personally with like-minded others, we invite you to join us for the free Evolutionary Women's Cafe, which is a facilitated community conversation held every Saturday after this call, which will be held at 12.30 Pacific time today, and that's immediately after the call. This is an opportunity 
for you to engage directly with others who are listening in from all over the world using the brand new technology of Maestro Conference. And with Maestro Conference, we can meet together as a group on the phone, and then we can break out into small discussion groups to engage more intimately with each other. So if you're interested in joining us today for that call, then immediately follows this one. Please check your emails and go to your inbox where you have been given a link to register yourself for that call. So today, I am beyond thrilled to be here with one of my favorite women of all time, a woman whose life and whose art has really impacted all of us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine, internationally acclaimed singer, songwriter, and multiple-time Grammy winner, Alanis Morissette, as she speaks intimately to what it is to be a woman on the front lines of power and influence. Alanis Morissette has released a series of groundbreaking albums that have sold more than 60 million copies worldwide. She has won 12 Juno Awards, 7 Grammy Awards, and has also received an additional 14 Grammy nominations. Her international debut album, Jagged Little Pill, remains the best-selling debut album by a female artist in the United States and is the highest-selling debut album worldwide in the music industry. Alanis's subsequent five studio albums have all included a series of chart-topping singles, and her most recent release, Flavors of Entanglement, was released in June of 2008 and debuted in the U.S. in the top 10 on Billboard's top 200 album chart. And that's just like the Cliff Notes version of all that Alanis has accomplished in life thus far. But the thing that really moves me the most about Alanis is who she is as a person. And that through it all, she has not only managed to keep a good head about her, but she has also managed to keep, to keep a deeply good heart about her as well. Amidst all of the swirl of her success and all of the acclaim, Alanis has managed to stay true to her own authentic voice and her artistic integrity amidst enormous pressure from both fans and industry insiders who have all wanted to stake their claim in shaping her career, and she's done so many times at tremendous personal cost. So she has always recognized the responsibility of what it is to hold power in the world with a sense of the sacred and a true sense of care, and has continually looked to lead the way in her music and in her life towards greater levels of liberation and truth as it's revealed to her. So, Alanis, welcome to Women on the Edge of Evolution. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> a well-earned introduction. <laughs> You're an amazing wordsmith. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, well, it's so a happy compliment to be from you. Uh, it's so great to be here. I feel Thank very you. honored. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You know, we're here today to talk about power, mm. and uh, our topic is authentic power, stepping up and stepping out in service to our collective evolution. Mm. And I actually can't think of a better person to have this conversation with than you. Mm. And so I just want to start us off today by inviting you to share with us about your own journey of what it was like to be thrust into this position of power. Mm really becoming one of the most powerful women that was influencing the entire music industry at the ripe old age of 21, mm -hmm. and like how that happened and what that was like for you. 
Wow. Um, <clears throat> well, I've, I've been writing songs since I was nine. And when I was a teenager, the, the subject matters weren't as autobiographical as they'd eventually become around 19 years old or 20 years old. And mm-hmm. I moved around to several different places. I was born in Ottawa, Canada. And then I eventually arrived in Los Angeles when I was 19 and had had a record deal. I'd been signed to MCA Records from the time that I was 14 years old and had had my sort of first version of emancipation from from what I ultimately deemed to be a somewhat dysfunctional and both dysfunctional and beautiful relationship with that with record companies in general. Um, and I came to Los Angeles without a record deal and started writing songs and really committed to myself to write a record that felt very authentic and very transparent. And I wouldn't stop until I reached that point. So I kept writing and met with several different collaborators. And then when I met Glenn Ballard, he really set the tone and created a space for me to be exactly that, to be authentic and to write about what my exact experiences were. Mm-hmm. And and it was a very stream-of-consciousness, surprising experience that has grown to be something very familiar to me at this point. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it was very uh, very new and overwhelming. And um, well, You didn't have a lot of modeling for it either. You were kind of creating it. Yes, there was there was no model, and I remember even right. after the record was released and I was traveling the planet, I remember aching for someone I could speak to or speak with who who had had a, a very similar experience to me, and, and most of the people that I reached out to, um, a didn't understand why I was reaching out to them, <laughs> which uh, which says a lot right there, and mm-hmm. then b also. We're, we're a little bit more egoically invested in sort of in sustaining a level of fame in a way that wasn't my um, primary interest. You know, to, for me to say that I wasn't egoically involved at all in the process would be an outright lie, because there was a lot of there were a lot of sort of seductive gifts involved in being in the public eye in that in that kind of extreme way. But my main impetus and my main sort of drive was to continue to chronicle what was happening in my life at every juncture of writing a record. So that had already been a commitment that I'd made to myself at 19, and I wow. thankfully have stuck to it since. Wow, and I don't know if people are aware that, that your courage to do that and your willingness to follow your own authenticity, even in the absence of role models, mm. and to uh, stay true to that, really paved the way for, I mean, hundreds of other female singer-songwriters, that which we now take for granted. Yeah, there were a lot of young women who were very sweet uh, and effusive, and and expressed, uh, you know, sort of acknowledged acknowledged it. And and in some ways, I just feel like I was part of an evolutionary process or movement that was going on with or without me. So, you know, you you speak a lot uh, a lot, Catherine, about the the idea of volunteering. You know, and that there's not a real there's not an overly precious aspect to being the one who volunteers. Um, but I've always felt like I was that human being that. You know, if I was at the back of the class being mousy and loud and opinionated, I still was the sort of brown-nosing student that would always put her her hand up. You know, when there was when there was anything being asked to be volunteered for. So, so in this case, you know, no matter how scary it was or no matter how daunting it seemed, I was always very quick to want to jump in. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't all just praise and appreciation either to be thrust in the limelight in the way that you were. I know you took a lot of heat for it too. 
Yeah, it, it, being in the public eye, from my personal experience, was as though I was volunteering to be this screen upon which people would just project all their stuff, both, <laughs> yeah. both very positive and that, you know, I'm not going to lie, that's a little bit more relaxing for me. Right, um, all that mommy it, transference <laughs> in both the best and worst of ways, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take being, you know, projected upon positively. <laughs> but the, the more negative ones were a little harder to hold, to say the least, um, and everything in between, frankly, you know. But I remember my father told me when I was quite young that, you know, when I was a little trembling at the thought of all this, he said, you know, there's going to be people that will love you, people that will hate you, and a lot of people who really won't care. <laughs> and that really won't change. And, and true to his word, <laughs> that's been the case. And, and a lot of it, if not all of it, really is projection. And I think that's what's so exciting about being these social animals, whether we're in the public eye or not, is that, you know, we're really subject to, to all of us allowing each other to project on each other. And whether we're doing that consciously or not really becomes the conversation for me, mm-hmm. you know. So. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I'm so excited to talk about power because power is such a critical dialogue for us to be engaging. You know, it's a huge issue for women. And, mm-hmm. you know, here we all are in this inquiry together about how we can really step up and step out to have an impact as agents of change in our world. And, you know, most of us are aspiring in the direction of becoming more loving and more self-expressed and more creative, but I'm not sure that we've been really consciously taking on becoming more powerful. Mm. You know, I, I think if, if we had asked everyone on this call to write down five qualities that you most aspire to cultivate in life, like before the call, I don't know that, that many of us would have put power on that list because in, in some way power is kind of like a dirty word in our culture and uh well, there's two the, sorry there's um there's two versions of it for me there's the personal empowerment mm-hmm. you know, the empowerment that will allow me to stand in a room and set a boundary or say no or say yes frankly and then there's the worldly power <laughs> which is a whole other animal so i like to distinguish between the two because they are very different um mm-hmm. and they're both terrifying <laughs> they're, they're both really daunting and terrifying to entertain yeah, well, I think, and, and we, so we're going to get into that. You know, we're, we're gonna, we want to really flesh out what's so scary for us, but I also want to really presence us to the overall context of the conversation and to just get present for a moment that we really are, as Western women, the single largest demographic in the world of individuals who have the freedom and the resources really to pursue our higher development and also who have this genuine burning interest and investment in consciously evolving. Mm. And um, it really does put us in a group, as a group, in this very, very significant position. Mm. We collectively really hold the power to influence and shape culture in the West, which really means that in the whole world. Yeah, no pressure, but let's do it. <laughs> right, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, and it's great. The combination I find in, the, in this version of the West and even, you know, California and, and West Coast, if I'm going to get specific in terms of geography, I just, the conversation of the blending of psychology and consciousness or, or spirit, you know, the transpersonal blending of all of it is, I've never seen it so much in this area, so I love what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's really the first time in the course of recorded human history that we can really see us as a demographic mm. holding the power to have such profound influence on the future of our world. Mm. So it's a really exciting time, and yet you're talking about this this terror that comes up, and I'm just wondering, you know, we're using the words authentic 
power, mm-hmm. which kind of you know implies something. And I'm wondering if you can share your ideas about what it is to hold authentic power. Mm. Um, authentic power for me is 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 what I spoke about a couple of seconds ago. The more personal power, so mm-hmm. empowerment versus worldly power. And worldly power is fun and seductive, but it feels more. Um, amorphous to me it feels more uh subject to rising and falling and disappearing and you know depending upon you know in my in my case you know what tv show i may have currently been on or what record has just been released and quote unquote how many records it sold and the ups and downs of public perception in that regard and that version of power i'll kind of put aside for a minute but the kind of power that i get very excited to speak about is is really the degree of connection and attunement to self and, and uh, you know a highly um, evolved version of, of care and the ability to soothe one's own self mm-hmm. as we evolve toward that which we've been called to do. And when I say that which we've been called to do, I know that itself can sound daunting too, as though mm-hmm. every woman you know is forced or demanded or required to be you know some. Uh, Princess Diana of some kind, and mm-hmm. I think what I'm excited about with personal power is that for each individual and each friend of mine, it's so unique and so different from person to person to person, and some of it is very tiny and quiet and intimate, um, mm-hmm. and then and then other people's versions of it are sort of global and huge and celebrity requiring and and you know horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So so what I'm excited to, to to talk about with my friends when we talk about this is is really honing in on each person's version and that there's not this huge pressure that it has to look any given way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm I'm hearing kind of the dance between the two like the personal empowerment and then holding power in the world and what I'm really appreciating in in kind of looking at how you've navigated your public life is that there really seems to be a marriage between the two, Mm. that you have used your power in the world to express your own values and your own deeper levels of care. Mm. And uh, and so it's kind of, you're kind of pushing up against maybe uh, the old paradigm of power, you know, Mm. power as it's been defined in our culture, which is primarily in these kind of masculine terms of accomplishment and agency. And Mm -hmm. if you look, if you look up power in the dictionary, it's to do, to act, to wield command over others, you know. <laughs> <laughs> over others is, is classical. It's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of women have looked at that kind of power, and that's why, you know, we've looked at power as kind of a dirty word, because as it's currently been defined in our culture, we want to say, wow, no thanks. You know, if how, right. having power means that I have to exploit other people i'm not interested in that kind of power yes it's it's very um off-putting to the to the feminine imperative because it's separatist and disconnecting and win-lose oriented <laughs> that doesn't sound like a lot of fun it sounds very isolating and, and in right. fact it is actually mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i'm just acknowledging you for having um really brought the values of deeper levels of care Mm. you know, really for the world in many, many ways into your work. And I know that that's been at great personal cost at times. Mm. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit 
more about that a little later on, too, to hear what that really was like for you. But I, I kind of want to go back and, and uh, bring in this fear that comes up for us. And you're talking about being afraid of our power and wanted to get your take on what you think is most frightening and disorienting to us about really stepping in to the fullness of power right now. Um, it's a combination of, of aspects of self that get affected when I think of, of your question. Um, firstly, I think of myself as an animal, <laughs> like you know, and each of us are different animals in my in my perception. So, I'm like a my nervous system is very sensitive, so I think of myself as this shaky poodle. <laughs> so power, <laughs> shaky poodle who can bark really loudly and run really fast, but still a shaky poodle. Um, so I think of us in terms of animals, and it's very scary, the thought of stepping up, because the, the perception in religion and the perception in this day-to-day society is that once you step up, in some shape or form, you'll be crucified. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that will affect the well-being of your physical self. It'll affect the well-being potentially of your family, certainly of your psyche, of your emotionality. It just feels, for me, my personal experience is that every aspect of myself, when I stepped into the worldly version of power, was threatened, you know, whether it was me physically being threatened or, you know, my hair being pulled or my... Yeah, literally threatened, right? Yeah, literally threatened. And then a lot of sort of verbal abuse, quote-unquote, and... You know, there's, and, and a lot of judgment, you know, every version of violence, you know, short of my body disappearing, which yeah. will happen at some point anyway, but, you know, was, was really sort of hurtled my way, you know, and if, and if I can be anything, I would be honored to be a living testament to the fact that even, even in the scariest of moments, I'm still here, <laughs> right. you know, and I'm still evolving and I'm still committed to this funny little journey we're on, mm-hmm. um, and that you know, just to just to sort of have a little aside here, I really feel the sweetness of sharing my own personal story and allowing it to become a collective consideration in that if I'm writing about myself and someone else in a living room, I'm offering it publicly once the song is on tape or otherwise, once the article's written, I'm offering it for the more collective impersonal, you know, to be so that other people can make it their own. Mm-hmm. And so the act of doing that still speaks to the personal, but in my case, I've always felt part of my vocation was to be in the public eye, and I realize that that's not everyone's. But um, I think certainly the, the worldly version of power can be can seem threatening to the animal that I just mm-hmm. spoke about, but mm-hmm. also the, the personal version of power as well, saying no, standing up for one's own self, um, you know, deciding something that is sort of goes against the grain or is not popular. You know, even in a professional context, there have been times where I've said no to things that, you know, may have resulted in myself and my team making less money or, mm-hmm. you know, resulting in my not being on a, t- a particular TV show that was popular at the time or, you know, saying no to being an advocate for a certain company that would have re- resulted in millions of dollars and, so to continue step by step by step to listen to what I call the, the, the still voice or that little gut intuitive voice within and really letting that be the guiding force for me as opposed to my ego and the, what you call the more masculine sort of um, cultural norm. You know, because we live in this amazing Western world that has a fierce version of consciousness 
that you and I, sounds like you and I both feel, mm-hmm. but it also has this fierce version of continuing to give in to, you know, the, the standard of beauty for women or the standard of what success and fame is. You know, there's a lot of values mm-hmm. that I still giggle at and chase after, you know, in my, in my human moments um, that, that, that pull me away from listening to that voice. So if I think about my own personal power, I know that I'm the most empowered when I'm listening to that voice. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, you know, the title of the talk, too, being Authentic Power, Stepping Up and Stepping Out in Service to Our Collective Evolution. I'm really aware and just want to point out to everybody that we're really talking, what you're talking about is holding power in service to something greater than yourself. Mm. Right, and, and a certain motivation yes. for your actions, using your power in, in, to foster greater levels of care and the growth and evolution of the collective, just being really mindful, as opposed to using power uh, over, for mm-hmm. one, right, yeah. or, or kind of accomplishing just simply for the sake of accomplishing and accumulating more. Right. Right, and, and that's kind of the evolution of power that I'm really seeing you model oh, beautifully for us. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a very I'm touched to have you acknowledge that because it's something I acknowledge in my private moments, but not something that I have found to be overly acknowledged in <laughs> in a public way. So thanks for that. Yeah, I mean I um, think it's a really really important distinction. Yeah, it is. The service piece is huge because there have been critical junctures all, along this uh, this path that I'm on that. Had I not returned to the service aspect of this, I would never have continued. You know, if there weren't some calling of some kind to continue serving, mm-hmm. it lo- it lost its luster pretty early on for me. <laughs> you know, the seductive egoic aspect of it, right. not very enticing after the first hour or ten. Yeah. You know, so I thought, well, what would keep me going? What would keep me writing and and being open to this and being open to stealing myself to step out and be subject to all the things that are challenging about being in the public eye. You know, and really I kept coming back to service. You know, I'm offering up my own personal story. I'm offering up my personal opinion for people to define themselves in accordance to me mm-hmm. so that they can use me, really, for their own evolution. And, it, you know, that sounds like a, a lofty, huge thing, but it's a simple little offering. It's a beautiful offering. And, and truthfully, if I look back to, you know, when you kind of burst on the scene with, uh, jagged Little Pill, and in particular the song You Ought to Know, mm-hmm. which is kind of this raw tribute to rage of having been left by a lover. <laughs> you know, and I, I think you just captured the dark places in our own psyches collectively of where we can go in a way that had us trust you. That's you know? so great. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad. I mean, <laughs> for me, that was just a devastating moment captured. You know, and from at the time, it was a hell of a lot easier for me to be angry than for me to be vulnerable and I just am such a fan of anger I think it's such a stunning life force and it has enough power to move worlds you know and and even you know part of me part of the reason why I'm on this call right now is because of my anger <laughs> you know it's just it brings me to so many it, it allows me to sort of further follow um, my vocation that beautiful life force so I'm glad That's that it was beautiful. it's home. great how you describe anger as this uh, life force that moves us forward you know mm-hmm. and and it's what you've chosen to do with it which is your own work you know your own work to continue to evolve and grow yourself towards mm-hmm. greater levels of wholeness and love and 
and uh, you know that's what you have now write about in ways that are just so you know ex- exquisite. I think about um, the song we we put the, the video of "Thank You" in our newsletter that we sent out. Mm. That's up on YouTube, and uh, the lyrics: "How about me not blaming you for everything? How about me enjoying the moment for once? How?" Mm about how good it feels to finally forgive you. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, nothingness. Thank you, clarity. I mean, it's it's really a spiritual practice, that song. <laughs> yeah, that song was a... It is a lot of these songs, especially the ones that I wrote as I grew older, not coincidentally, <clears throat> became like mantras for me and, and prayers, you know, to the point where when I would tour, and when I do tour, it's, you know, it's like a spiritual practice, the shows, for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very elegant and eloquent in how you're describing kind of the attacks that you had to endure by <laughs> stepping up into power in the way that you did. And, um, you know, I just, I don't want to skip over it because I think it really is such a huge issue for us. And I think on a cellular level, you know, we're all kind of still processing witch hunts. <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, all the tens of thousands of women who've been beaten, imprisoned, and killed for you know, their their gifts and their authentic power that no one can control. Mm-hmm. And then we have our modern-day versions of it now, right? We still have it. We still, <laughs> still have it. You know, just in the 1940s, a woman was imprisoned in England for nine months for being a witch. It's not like this happened hundreds of years ago. And there's even different parts of the world and, and, and some places in Africa and India and Saudi Arabia. You know, women and children are actually still being imprisoned and killed for being accused of being a witch. Mm. And so I think we're holding that like in our bodies in some way, and there's this way we're just tentative about stepping up and stepping out. You know, it's this kind of somatic anxiety that we're holding. Yeah, and that, that somatic fear to me is I just keep coming back to it's it's so understandable and valid <clears throat> because it's our animal. You know, if there's a small percentage of people who are open to the the cosmic and consciousness and astral and <clears throat> a lot of concepts that may scare those who aren't entertaining it yet, um, that which scares people can often be the impetus for them to attack on behalf of that fear. You know, So mm-hmm. it's a valid concern, I think, for those of us who want to express it in whatever ways we do, subtle or otherwise. Terrifying, because that could mean the end of us, in, you know, in theory. Yeah, so in the face of that, rather than contracting, you expanded. Yes, but that's, you know, that's also an orientation, I think. I keep saying the word animal, but it just feels so appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. certain animals, when they're attacked, they fight. <laughs> and other animals, when they're attacked, they fly, and others freeze. So in my particular case, as a young person, when I was attacked, I my first, you know, my first response was to fight or move toward that, that which was terrifying. And mm-hmm. I realize that that's not everyone's mode or orientation, and, and nor need it be, you know. But in my particular case, when something was scary, I would move toward it, you know, and that has served me as an artist and as a, you know, someone who's willing to be in the public eye speaking on behalf of these subject matters that, that you are as well. Um, yeah. And really it just it just sort of lays the foundation for what our particular role will be in this consciousness evolution. You know, my yeah. particular role is one of, you know, being terrified, doing terrified, having my heart palpitating, you know, and I'm just, I'll always show up, I'll always still say yes. Right. Well, and I think we're all on our edge, like whatever whatever the playing field, you know, whether, as you were pointing out before, it's in personal relationships, setting boundaries, saying no or saying yes, mm-hmm. 
or whether it's, you know, taking on the world in the way that you were kind of uh, asked to do. Mm. Um, you know, there's all, always that moment of trembling to really step into our truth and to risk yeah. being criticized or attacked. Yes, and I also want to give credence to pausing, you know, and not, you know, for those of us, and I'm definitely included in this, the times where we say no because it is too terrifying. You know, I think there's there's got to be room made for that as well because, you know, at some points we're entertaining our own well-being, um, our own physical safety, you know. A lot of the thoughts in the head can, can run rampant in terms of what the consequences might be if we do step forward and... And, you know, and stay empowered. So I think it's perfectly appropriate for us to be, you know, yeah. to be cautious. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I'm hearing is to stay really connected to ourselves. Yeah, and that's the biggest feat, you know. No matter what I've been going through, the degree to which I can remain connected with my own self and listen to my voice. And so my biggest, over the last year even for me, the biggest challenge has been how can I create a, an environment for myself that will allow me to hear the voice, you know, whether you, whether it's God's voice or intuition or, mm-hmm. you know, I like to say messages sometimes, you know, how can I create a stillness, even if it's two minutes a day or to the point where I can hear the answer, because when I am in, most, in my highest amounts of fear, I typically don't create a context in which I can hear those voices. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would... You know, with my girlfriends and I, we all support each other to, in listening. <laughs> you know, and then and then the courageous act, and this is actually where the more masculine aspect comes in to save the day. God bless masculinity. You know, the listening is the feminine, and then the heeding and the following through and the taking action on behalf of what we've heard is the beautiful masculine stepping in. You know, so mm-hmm. so that act of listening and heeding has been my my new love affair. You know, not to say, <laughs> not to say I'm the the most consistent uh, listening listener or heater, but that's right. sort of the new thing for me these days. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you're taking action out of a, a more holistic, integrated place within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my best moments. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> In my most awake moments when I'm not totally asleep, yeah. Right. <laughs> so also, I, I also wanted to um, kind of point to the other thing that I think really freaks us out about stepping up and really owning ourselves fully here and taking responsibility to presence ourselves in the world. And that has to do with this terror of being alone, which mm. is so critical for us women. And, uh, and and I think that this whole fear of um, other people disapproving of us or not being thought of as good girls, we want to be liked, that's all part of our re- resistance to being alone, you know, because we don't want to disappoint people. and uh, And it's really critical. Really critical that we start to make these things conscious within us, so that we can actually choose: is that really worth my authentic voice and my rightful place in the world? Because I'm too terrified to risk that, you know. And is it even true? You know, what I'm realizing right. is, you know, and that's why I love what you and Claire are doing because you are really, you are really sending a message to me and to other women that. That that's not even true. <laughs> if we step forward, and you know, forward maybe a simple, a, 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 the simplest act of, you know, the voice may tell us to take a shower. It may take a, it, tell, it might tell us to drive more slowly. Right. You know, so it's not like this voice says, Sheila, you must, you know, go to Africa and open up forty-three schools in one week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, some people may get that voice, and that's awesome, but. 
You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times the, the, the calling and the voice is really a simple voice that says, call your mom. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, so, sorry, you were speaking about the loneliness. Well, the fear, yeah, the fear of being alone, I, which is why I think it's right. such a grace, really, that kind of this is happening for us collectively because we're all kind of together in this. You know? Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you're creating this really beautiful environment um, of, of, you know, a place where women can see that of all the varying and unique versions of our coming into our own, so to speak, that we're not going to be flying really fast and then look next to us and there's no birds. <laughs> you know, we may need to leave some birds behind or say goodbye to some birds for a while but, and we can keep flying, but there's tons mm-hmm. of birds ahead and next to us and we're all, we're all at We're all degrees. flapping together, you know, yeah. creating more uplift in the field. <laughs> yeah, we're all flying. <laughs> so, and there's a ton of us. You know, right. and we're everywhere. You know, I mean that's that's the part that, that really touches me is that I really to- I totally gave in to the to the misnomer that you know it's lonely at the top. And first of all, I'm realizing there is no top. There is no you know finish line or final destination. You know, I don't even think death is. So there's no top, and and there is it's not lonely there if there were a top which there isn't (laughs) you know and that's what i love about what you're doing like i just said i just think it's so lovely because you're you're creating a world and a community that you can land in when you're being a brave soul you can just you can just rest your head on someone's lap whether it's virtually or literally i think it's so lovely what you're doing yeah, thank you. And I just want to acknowledge so many of the women on the call, too, because I know a lot of women are writing in and they're on the Facebook and they're sharing about what they're up to and what they're creating, too, and how they're stepping out. So there really is this sense that we're going here together, and uh, thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And that we're able to now live, with, really with your permission, Catherine, <laughs> we're able to live um, the, the brave, uh, courageous, self-loving, conscious, voice-heating lifestyle and know that there's there's not as big of a consequence as there was purported to be you know Mm -hmm. i'm i'm still physically alive i have an amazing community around me we're all we're all you know we're all doing our best we're allowing our humanity you know and at the end of the day it's not like oh god will love me if i dot 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 you know it's like we're already Mm -hmm. loved we are already love in my in my perception Mm -hmm. of this so Mm -hmm. so now it's just a matter of of you know, waking up and seeing what's happening now. What do I do today? What do I do this moment, moment to moment, you know? Right. Yeah, and I and I want to go back to about um this fear of it's going to cost me something. You know, I you ha- you have endured a lot of trials mm-hmm. in in the choice to stay true to your authentic voice and your authentic message. Mm-hmm. And um I'm just wondering, you know, what some of those costs have been and and really where you have gone within yourself to source the courage and the strength to be that authentic Mm. um well i've always been a sensitive god-loving girl you know my own version of god Mm -hmm. um since as far back as i can remember and i was always a little telepath and (laughs) so i felt very strange for it but kept persevering and had this amazing sort of artistic outlet that really not only allowed it, but invited this uniqueness that I was as a young human being. Um, so you you asked about the consequences. Is 
did you ask about the consequences or did yeah, I yeah, project well, I that into you? Yeah, I cost, the consequences. Yeah, the cost. Do, do I people think, have, yeah, you know, in terms of people. A lot of opinions about it, yes? Yeah, a lot of opinions. I think the the harshest versions are, you know, especially as the, the dawn of the Internet age kind of came to be over the last 15, 20 years, is that a lot of people had negative perceptions of what I was up to, and a lot of men um, in particular may have projected onto me that I was like their mom or their ex-wife or their ex-girlfriends, and I became the the holder <laughs> of every man's hateful ex-girlfriends, <laughs> you know, and, and, and as, a, as a boss, as a young woman boss, you know, I became, I held... I held a lot of the people who worked for me. I held their mom stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. and their sister stuff and their ex stuff. And so I had to quickly realize the impersonal aspect of all this because some of it may have been personal. So, you know, some small percentage was definitely personal. So I don't want to say that I have no responsibility in any of these interactions. But for the most part, you know, I could tell that I was having a lot of anger and judgment and hate for that matter projected onto me in a way that had absolutely nothing to do with me personally mm-hmm. so i had to learn how to steal myself and protect myself and you know it looked it looked different in different ways you know literally having bodyguards or not going on the chat rooms um not reading a lot of the press interestingly enough you know a lot of people mm-hmm. would encourage me to read the the great reviews you know and and they, you know, it sort of begged, it begged for the reading of every review, really. If I were to really believe the positive reviews, it required me to sort of take into consideration the more negative ones. And really it became after a while with, with you know, critics, even though the concept of a critic is hysterical to me. <laughs> Why would anyone subject themselves to an unsolicited critique? Mm-hmm. I mean, the root word of critique is critical, criticism. I'm not into it. But... Um, but in terms of being on the receiving end of that, I I just stopped reading anything. And and if there were something for me to see because it felt accurate, um, you know, it would find its way to me. Some right. version of feedback would find its way. Right. So I just want to I just want to notice though and point out for you know our listeners that what you didn't do was dumb down and dim down. Oh yeah, that ver- that one. Right, like so, the protection was just getting wiser and smarter about what you needed to protect your commitment. Was unwavering. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I couldn't do it, Catherine, and I was begged to. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of artists that, you know, kind of repeat what they've done, um, and are and are terrified, I think, to evidence their evolution, perhaps even in their lyrics or in their content, because they fear. Legitimately, they fear a loss of an audience or loss of money, loss of status, loss mm-hmm. of praise. You know, so so I I had this moment after Jagged Little Pill where I realized that I could go back in the studio and repeat what I'd done mm-hmm. and freak out and not be very happy, <laughs> or I could write a record that I loved that that evidenced my evolution and writing songs like Thank You and that I would be good and and risk that there may be a profound loss in the in, wor- in the worldly term um, in so doing. But there was really no other choice for me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't dumb down. And Lord knows I had people from the record company and even people much closer than that to me professionally who were literally admonishing me for not 
writing a record that would ensure, you know, a consistent fan base um, perpetuation mm. or whatever it was, you know, and I, mm. I was horrified and a lot of tears were shed and a lot of beseeching conversations and conf- conference calls and a lot of my feeling completely invisible and not not seen and not gotten as an artist. And that's, you know, the sort of the 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 Van Gogh ear cutting off plight of a lot of artists that were you know that we feel lonely but the the old sort of the old school version of artistry is that we have to suffer and be isolated and misunderstood to continue our art but I my whole life is is a is a testament to fly in the face of that because I actually don't believe it to be true I think anger and joy and fierce life forces can create any art you know so if there's one if there's one belief that I'd love to blow out of the water, it's that we have to be suicidal as artists to continue creating. And it's just not true. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Just this uh, deep devotion to serving integrity and truth and also being responsible to that that sense of integrity within yourself, artistic integrity and truth. Yeah. And when, to your when, own knowing. Yes. Right. Yep. Well, yeah. When you say responsible, I just hear the word response, like able to respond. I always hear that sentence, and I just think, can I respond to this? Can I respond to what's happening in my life? And in a very simple way, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent this process as something that's overly precious. You know, it's it's very simple. You know, do I want to chronicle what happened this week? Do I want to define myself on paper or, you know, any any artist's version of expressing themselves through their intellect or through their paintbrush or through their words spoken or through an arm around the shoulder or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, can we respond to our personal calling? Yeah. And then to discern, is this calling actually God or love or is this calling my ego? <laughs> is this calling fear you know, is it fear? Because a lot of people will come up to me, especially young people, and say, you know, I want to be famous just like you. And I, I quickly attempt, if I have the moment, to tune into: is this something that their mom and dad wants for them? <laughs> is this something the ego is driving this young child to think that they need to do this to be accepted by family or get approval? Or is this something that this young creature, this young person? is sort of quote-unquote born to do you know so again it's a it's a question of discernment between am i you know sort of quote-unquote born to be in the public eye because my ego wants celebrity and fame or am i am i dying to be in the public eye because i can't help it because this is what god has you know has instilled in me Mm -hmm. and it's my particular vocation so the discernment there is huge too right so that's you know speaking to the underlying motive Mm-hmm. Of what's really driving us. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, if we could, I just want to talk a little bit about response, ability to respond, mm-hmm. because I, I really have to admit that what I'm noticing in kind of speaking with thousands of women, that there's really a very big part of us that doesn't really want to be the one, that yeah. on some level wants to make men responsible for course correcting the messes we've made Mm. and kind of getting stuck in the consciousness that men have done this to us. They've done the patriarchy to us. Mm. We're kind of innocent bystanders, and so now it's up to them to fix it. And, you know, yes, we've been oppressed, and and yet, you know, we could look at our own 
participation in how culture has been created and really take responsibility ourselves mm-hmm. for how that's been and the way that we've been colluding in our own demise and then mm-hmm. you know really step up to course correct the ills of culture and society. And I think of the responsibility and powers going hand in hand. And uh, I, I was wondering if you could speak about your willingness to kind of step up and be the one who's responsible for staying true to the voice and evolving the collective conversation. Yes, I I see it as a two- or three-step process. So the ability to respond and, and take this responsibility to me is is a step two or three. I think it's very important for me to begin with, you know, the songs or the two minutes or whatever it is of my allowing myself to really experience my victimhood, you know, to really feel all the way through the oppression and the pain of having been subject to a very violent and rude and um, life-denying patriarchy, you know, whether it's as an artist, as a businesswoman, as a human being, as a sister, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a as a daughter, as a niece, you know. Like there's all these, I need to give myself that step one of allowing myself to grieve and to feel victimized because if I don't and I try to skip over it mm-hmm. and jump right into responsibility taking, it'll be very short-lived, that responsibility taking, and it won't be given the power to, be, to take root. Mm-hmm. And then equally, I know a lot of you know, tendencies in my own self and some of my friends to want to stay in that victim place. Mm-hmm. And maybe this speaks to what you just said. Staying in the victim places can be very juicy and righteous. You know, but then it it disallows um, the unfoldment of what may be a very enjoyable destiny. You know, the responsibility taking route is really fun. <laughs> it's so fun. It's like <laughs> high five. <laughs> you know, so so I think it's it's a, it's a question of am I resisting any aspect of this journey from victimhood to empowerment? Because I know a lot of women that are, you know, women power. You know, I'm just like, but what about what about the grief? What about your pain? And, and they just say, I don't want to talk about that. You know, and then other women that do the opposite, where they just want to talk about how horrifyingly, terribly, you know, they've been treated by men and, and how, you know, how stuck we've been. And, you know, and I, I think it's just a matter of not staying stuck in any one spot. Right. Because evolution, as you've so beautifully spoken about, evolution does require a profound amount of responsibility. So, but a very rooted self-loving, gentle responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the responsibility I'm thinking of as you speak about it is a very feminine quality. You know, it's a very grounded, empowered, um, steadfast quality. So, so I'm, and coming I'm, from a very holistic place within yourself. Yeah, coming yeah. from a very loving, gentle, mm-hmm. um, validating place, an empathic place versus yeah. versus a let's skip over let's skip over some you know some parts and just jump into responsibility and i have this understanding with my girlfriends where we <laughs> we allow ourselves to talk about sort of the victim whiny blamey aspect of things for you know two or three minutes carte blanche go for it <laughs> blame finger point be victimized poor me go to town you know mm-hmm. and then there's this little moment where we look at each other and we go okay so now what are we doing? <laughs> and then we go into taking more personal responsibility. But I think it's a two- or three-step process, and that's in my personal experience anyway. Yeah, that's great. So, so you're talking about your girlfriends a lot and uh, clearly have a pretty rich 
field of relationships with other women. Yeah. And um, I really love your song, Sister Blister. Oh, <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, and I always haven't. I haven't always had a, a, a very sisterly dynamic with some women, you know. And I, what, what do we? I guess we we speak in terms of when we meet a new woman, we say, "Is she a sister?" And what that implies is, you know, has she been sort of masculinized or chauvinisticized to the point where? there's no bond between this gender. And I don't mean a bond that is exclusive in that, you know, us women against those men. I just mean a bond within our gender, mm-hmm. you know. So I haven't always had that, I guess is my point. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of us haven't. And, you know, historically, uh, we women for really hundreds and hundreds of years have sourced our own value from the men that we're with. And so it's kind of set up this competition between women, it's just like a residue, mm-hmm. right? And uh, this undercurrent, yeah. And it kind of covertly pits us against each other with this sense of hierarchy. Mm. And uh, I think women are checking each other out all the time. You know, who and who's with the alpha male, and somehow yeah. the woman with the alpha male is more valuable. And yeah, and back to the animal conversation. You know, there's, you know, if there's some really beautiful or articulate or you know competitive sort of force woman in the room with me and there's this one man over here that's going to provide and protect for us as animals you know it's between you and me lady and i'm going to take you down (laughs) so that me and my family will be taken care of by this man animal you know so it's very Mm -hmm. very basic animal stuff from from my perception and um and that's still animal you know so i think the the very core of of the consciousness evolution movement is can we can we honor the animal part of us, but realize that one of the greatest gifts we've been given is that we have consciousness, or we have the ability to tune into consciousness. Absolutely, we can make ourselves aware of these kind of forces within ourselves and make a different choice. Yes, and not not create more division by admonishing our own selves for not. You know, oh, no, I was such an animal there. I was fighting that woman because she was getting more attention from that guy, and that's so low consciousness of me. So not so much having another division or another inner conflict for, or another reason to beat ourselves up, but to let there be room for all of it. Ah, look at the animal part of me wanting to take that woman down. You know, Or, oh, look at me fighting over who has higher status with this woman because I want to be the shiny, sparkly girl in the room, and she's threatening that. Really, all that is animal speak, you know, mm-hmm. and then bringing in the consciousness conversation, which you dwell in so beautifully from from this end, <laughs> you know, yeah, whereas like realizing that it is um, it is so inclusive, but truly beyond and transcends just the physical survival aspect of things. Yeah, beautiful, and and just being able to consciously choose to evolve our relationship with each other, so that we're really celebrating the gifts and the greatness in each of us and supporting yeah. it, that in each other. And I just think about how calming it is for my nervous system to have sister energy with someone. Ooh, I can breathe again, you know, because it's terrifying. And it's a self-imposed isolation when we stay an animal because our nervous systems are on red alert cortisol mode. Right. <laughs> you know, stressful to be in competition, stressful to be separatist. 
when I have a sister energy with someone, I just want to curl up at her feet, you know. (laughs) So... So let's bring on more of that. Amen. <laughs> Sarah and I were at uh, Maria Shriver's Women's Conference a couple of years ago, and uh, Madeline Albright was there, and she said, there's a special kind of hell reserved for women who don't support other women. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. It's pretty hot. That was <laughs> a great quote. That's awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, Alanis, I really want to thank you. I I feel like we could talk for a long time to come, but I'm I'm kind of uh, wanting to bring other people into the conversation. I know that a lot of people want to speak with you. We have a lot of people on the lines, uh, both listening on the webcast and who are on the call with us here. And uh, so, I I would like to open up the lines to take some questions. So, if you have a question for Alanis, you can send your question via the instant message in your teleseminar window on your computer, or you can just dial into the conference line number and press star two, and that will essentially raise your hand over here and let us know that you have a question. And before we take your questions, I have a few things to let you know about. Uh, For those of you who would like to find out more about Alanis and what she's currently up to, I want to invite you to go to her website, alanis.com, A-L-A-N-I-S.com. And if you would like to find out more about our work, you can visit femininepower.com and download a free 75-minute audio called Awakening the New Feminine Power, How to Become Your Authentic Self and Co-Create the Future of Our World, and that's femininepower.com. And each week we like to shine the light on great work and evolutionary offerings of some of our event uh, partners and co-sponsors. So we're very happy to tell you about one of our beloved co-sponsors, the Agape International Spiritual Center, founded by our dear friend, author of Spiritual Liberation, Michael Beckwith. The Agape International Spiritual Center is a trans-denominational spiritual community whose doors are open to all seekers in search of authentic spirituality, personal transformation, and selfless service to humankind. And you can now join the Agape community and hear Reverend Michael live each Sunday by going to their website, agapelive.com, and sign up for their live streaming of their weekly sacred services. And our friends at Integral Enlightenment are also pleased to announce the launch of their new online Academy for Evolutionaries, Registration is still open for their nine-week telecourse, Integral Enlightenment, Awakening to an Evolutionary Relationship to Life. The course just started last week, and you can still register and listen to the audio of the first week and catch yourself right in, and you can hear more about it and download a free 60-minute audio called The Key to Evolving Beyond Ego at IntegralEnlightenment.com. Okay, so you ready for some questions, Alanis? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so if you have a question, just send your question via instant teleseminar, the instant uh, message in your teleseminar window on the computer, or you can dial into the conference line and press star 2. And uh, let's see, uh, we already have a whole bunch of folks lined up, so let's go to Texas. Hi, Texas, you're on the line with us. Hi, is that me? Yes, it's you. Oh. Oh, it is a dude. I'm so excited. Alanis, how are you? Great, how are you? I'm super, super happy to uh, be able to connect with you. And before anybody um, throws any, um, I don't know, verbal daggers at me, I am a gay man, so I am an honorary girl. 
No daggers for men being here. <laughs> we love men on the call. But thank you, dude. I think thank you so much. I think it's so great that um, you know that you guys are doing this. Um, you know, for everyone, it's such a consciousness enlightenment raising you know situation that you guys have, that you girls have going on, and I'm just so happy to uh, to be let be a part of it. So um, my question to you, Alanis, and by the way, I've I, I've met you before. Not that you would remember, but I met you in New York City at the Ski Ball. Uh, you know the uh, the Shelley. Um, uh, foundation for Women oh, yeah. in Film. Yes, yes, yes. What a great and night. So, yes. So, um, anyways, I, I met you th- um, that night afterwards, and I was telling you that my mother died, and you were so comforting and everything. And the one thing that I wanted to ask you before I freaked out because you, you know, were there, was I wanted to ask you what do you wish to be your single greatest contribution um, in life, mm. whether that be you know, something simple or something great. What do you perceive that to be at your, you know, young age of 33, I think you're 34? Uh, I'm actually 35. 35? Hey, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in terms of contribution, you know, I have, to, I have to jump into my ego for that one. Um, and I think I would want it to be kindness or love in the face of fear. You know, whether it's showing up in the form of, taking a deep breath and slowing down in the middle of a conflict or um, a fear in my own self, taking a, a little step back or a breath and, and addressing it in a kind way. You know, So I think if there's any contribution, big or small, it would be love in the face of terror. Mm, love in the face of terror, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. Do you... Do you do you do in your in your music? I always feel like you are always uh, trying to put in a a sort a sort of subcontext um, of, of of enlightenment of of always you know raising your consciousness. Is that some? But 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 there's also so much of that that has to do with with love and fear and your relationships. Um, do you? Do you do that consciously? Do you do you actually take a step back and say, okay, I'm, I want to, you know, intermingle all of these things about evolution in my lyrics, or is that just does that just happen naturally? And later, people like me, you know, remind you. Um, the latter. So I I'm not really thinking so much when I'm writing. Um, so I I just allow whatever's percolating to show up. It's a very stream of consciousness. Um, uncensored, uncontrolled process, and, and I, I love it being that way. Um, so I think whatever's, whatever I'm dwelling in at any given time will show up in the song, so it's not something I think about. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. We Thank love you, Linus. Bless you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Hey, let's take a caller from New York. Let's see. Hi, you're on with Alanis. Is it me? Yeah. It's you. <laughs> uh-huh. Hi, Alanis. Hi, Catherine. It's Laura from New York. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi, Alanis. Um, I am honored to be on the call with you, and I just wanted to know when your You Ought to Know came out, I was in my early 20s, and I thought it was amazing that we had a woman that was coming out the way you did. I just remember listening to Jagged Little Pill over and over and over. Oh, um, <laughs> the question I had for you, you talk a lot about connecting to yourself and to following your intuition and your gut. And what I wanted to know is how do you have a practice that you use to keep yourself centered, especially when you, you know, things happen in life and you can get disconnected from your center or from that intuition and what you, what you would do. And has that actually gotten stronger as you've gotten older? Or is it something that you've always had? 
Thanks for that question. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a book right now where I talk all about every different practice that I jump into, Um, but just to share a couple of them with you right now, one is definitely sitting in silence is my best friend. (laughs) Even if it's for a minute or two, it doesn't have to be for three hours straight. So I have some altars set up in my house here that I just sit in front of that helps a lot. Um, Being anywhere near nature, and then a lot of sort of inner dialogue work in my journals, they're hundreds and hundreds of pages of my literally talking with different parts of myself. So if I'm if I'm attempting to do something and I'm scared, I'll literally have a written dialogue with that terrified part of myself um until it until it feels soothed. Um or at least acknowledged. You know, or if I'm really pissed off and, and livid, you know, I'll talk with that part of me that is really angry. So a lot of inner dialoguing is, is a huge practice of mine. Yeah, that's me. that helps creative process, I guess. Yeah, it helps. It helps, and it you know I feel like a schizophrenic sometimes. But what are you going to do? It helps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I want to give us a question. Someone uh, I am does here from mm-hmm. uh, Vancouver, Clarissa. Mm-hmm. You seem to have a natural bravery. Would you say it that it is an innate bravery, or do you think it is a learned bravery that developed over time? And what advice do you have for other shaky poodles who don't, <laughs> who don't quite have that natural bravery yet? Well, I, I think there there needs to be a movement for the shaky poodle. The shaky poodle club. <laughs> I don't. I think bravery, you know, bravery in and of itself is not, you know is not something necessarily to be viewed as the great approach. You know, sometimes the approach of caution caution and tentative approach and, you know, there's so many different approaches that work for any given person. So to answer your question about um, whether I've always been brave, I actually consider myself to be counterphobic. So I think that what happens is everything that's presented to me scares me so much <laughs> that I respond to it in an opposite way it's just a it's a mode of operation so i'm always scared so it's not that the fear's not there <laughs> it's that my i have a muscle memory of doing it anyway or um you know maybe it's because i had two brothers and i was a tomboy and you know they're jumping off of cliffs and we're going down double diamond ski hills and you know and they were always going ahead of me and it, it may simply have been you know if i don't pretend i'm not afraid I'm going to be left up here on the mountain. (laughs) So there was a lot of, you know, two older brothers um, being super brave, you know, very athletic guys. And if I didn't, you know, if I didn't jump on the hand glider with them, I'd be staying at home at the hotel, you know. So it was more a case of my wanting to be included um, than than a case of my being a daredevil or a brave person. So that's great. So for Clarissa, it's like moving in the direction of being counterphobic, moving towards what you're afraid of. <laughs> yeah, or just hanging out with really brave people who who admonish you for not coming with you. <laughs> so that might work. push you off the ledge. Yeah, find one brave friend who who you know who can pull you along. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so let's take another caller. I think it's Patricia in Angels Camp, California. Oh, hi. 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 I am so intrigued when you talk about your circle of friends, Alana. Mm-hmm. How supportive I can just feel. I can feel how good it feels for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got, 
you know, we, 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 we accumulate different types of friends throughout our lifetime. Yeah. And um, the transition between the friends that you maybe hung out with in college and partied with and then the friends you made when you were a young mom, mm-hmm. and then the spiritual, taking that leap between, it seems like I have to leave some people behind, yeah. um, and creating those new relationships on that spiritual level is somewhat, it's challenging. And I just yeah. wanted to hear more about your circle of friends and... Well, I, yes, I first just want to validate how, how challenging that is because um, it's hard. It's hard to leave behind uh, people that you've bonded with in particular areas. But I just think in terms of compatibility. So there are some friends that I've had over the years that, you know, when it, you know, when I think about partying and <laughs> drinking tequila shots at any given chapter, there's a certain group of friends that are all about that. And then... I have a certain group of friends who are really sort of Ph.D. academia friends, and we get together and talk about psychology. And then there are some friends who are all about, you know, kayaking and jet skiing, and I hang out with those friends. So it's not so much that I only have, you know, four friends and we have everything in common. I think part of the the nature of friendship is that it's built to be compatible, and I think partnership, it's more exciting to have some incompatibilities in there because there's more room for growth and healing. But with friends all about compatibility in specific areas. So, you know, there might be... Sorry, yeah, and I just know. wanted to point out what you said before, too, about hanging out with friends who support you to become the best of yourself, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I, my, my closest girlfriends, you know, there may be areas where we're not compatible, but the one thing we all have in common is a profound level of compassion for each other and that we're all supporting each other in in this evolution journey and we champion each other and we cry together and we jump up and down together and we we offer advice if it's solicited that's our rule <laughs> unsolicited <laughs> advice is a very violent thing in my group of friends <laughs> smack um so yeah um but i just want to really validate that it's very hard to step away from some friendships and sometimes it's awkward and uncomfortable and even sometimes very ugly but it's got to happen thank you patricia Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. Um, And let's go to Miami, Florida. Hi, you're on with us. Hello. Is that me? Yeah. Hello? Hi. Oh, hello. Uh, Hi, Um, Alanis. I'm sorry I missed the beginning of your uh, talk, but I just had one simple question. So, again, What is your name? What is your name? Charlotte. 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 My apologies if you have to repeat something you said before, but I just have one simple question. What does it mean to you to be a woman today? Um, uh, It means uh, to be this human being who has a whole physiological, biological makeup that makes me a quote-unquote woman and that I aspire to have aspects of masculinity and femininity swim within this body that is a woman body (laughs) and take into consideration that I have hormones and tendencies that that make me very womanly and at the same time I want to foster wholeness as whole as I can be as a woman is is what I look for so that's what's so exciting about 2010 for me yeah thank you Charlotte thank you thank you bye We've got a lot of folks lined up here with great questions, I'm sure. Um, Here, let me take another one from Instant Message from Santa Barbara. I think it's an unusual name, Ataliana. When you always 
feel and regularly know that you have a great uh, gift to give. For me, connection very much spiritually and some regular or reason teaching wise as well, but mm-hmm. it could be anything on my on any level. Mm-hmm. How does one hold and trust that focus through all of the challenges of life? Um, how does one hold and trust the focus? Um, I, I would start simply by saying that you can cut yourself slack <laughs> and that there may be moments where you're very hunkered down and focused on what your calling or what your passions or what your unique idiosyncratic tendencies are. And there may be moments where you go way off track and you're lost and you're feeling totally off and disconnected and that that's perfectly appropriate and normal too, whatever normal means. Um, but yeah, I would I would just remove any pressure because one thing that keeps coming up over the many years when I speak with women and it's in my own self too is this feeling, this pressure of having to be enlightened or having to be evolved or having to be conscious. You know, it's too much pressure. You know, and, and the natural unfolding of exactly what is to happen is going to happen anyway. So it would be much more fun to do it without beating ourselves up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Okay, now there's one from Melissa in Johannesburg, and it's a little long, but it's really, um, what she's talking about is really lovely, so I'm going to read it here. Great. Hi, Alanis. I am 27 years old, and I do a lot of work with the mentally ill, as well as a lot of work with troubled children of all ages. My passion lies in the fact that I've been there in many respects. I've walked the road of eating disorders, self-mutilation, codependence, and depression. Mm. I'm very open about history because it helps others see that I have a true understanding of what they're going through. The patients and children seem to appreciate my openness, but I find myself in a struggle with those superior to me and those who talk the talk not from personal experience but rather from textbooks. I have lost several jobs in the field because of refusing to cover the old scars on my arms because my argument is that I'm being asked to cover up a big part of who I was. Mm. It was your personal lyrics that helped me feel understood when I was going through all of my stuff as a teen, and I felt like only you understood because at that time your lyrics seemed to be only the only authentic thing in my life. Mm. So my question is, how much of my authentic self do I display and how much of it do I hide? Do I comply with the status quo or is it okay to stand my ground with being as true as I feel I need to be? Thank you and bless you from South Africa. Ooh, what a great question. How exciting. Uh, um, <clears throat> I, would ask, I would ask her, you. Melissa. Um, yeah, I would ask you what your goal is in any case scenario. You know, so if your goal is to be in a context where self-mutilation is too scary for them to embrace, but there is some message that you want to send in an interaction for 10 minutes or a job that you're embarking upon for two years, I would keep your eye on the prize. So if your intention in entering into a job or an environment is to express authenticity, then I would say go into an environment where that is welcomed. If your intention is to express um, patience, um, and it might be a little jarring for someone to take on the content of your authenticity, but your goal is to express patience to them, 
whether your arm is covered or not is incidental. But it's really about what what you're thinking in your own mind with regards to the covering. And I realize the covering of the arm is a symbolic gesture, so it could be anything. It could be pretending you don't know something or pretending you um, don't feel something or being quiet when ordinarily you might want to speak. But everything, for me, it all comes down to what is my intention in any given interaction. And there may be some perfectly appropriate moments for me to be wildly authentic. Art, the context of art is a giant invitation for authenticity for me. There are other environments, if I go to a funeral, let's say, um, where it would, be per- it would be wildly inappropriate for me to be walking up and down the aisles, <laughs> you know, pontificating about my authenticity. So <laughs> it, it's, again, the discernment, case by case, moment to moment, person to person. If your orientation is to serve, you're really serving them. You know, you're not um, sort of projecting your own experience onto someone, unless that's actually your, that's, if that's your intention, then have at it. <laughs> you know, but if your intention is to serve someone, there's, um, there's a tuning in to where they're at on their path and supporting them to their particular next place that is a profound service. So if I'm talking to someone who may be at B going to C, it's not appropriate for me to talk about R to S because I'm not tuning into where they are. And that's one form of service, to support someone Mm. from where they are to their next place and be very considerate about what might be overwhelming to them in that moment. So it's not so much that I'd be sending a message to myself that R to S is wrong or bad. It's that I'm tuning into serving that person. So that's what I would say. This this person who wrote this sounds very generous and like they want to be in a place of service in their life and already... They already are. Yeah, so really beautiful. I was I was moved by that, and I'm just hearing you really talk about like um, the recognition of impact on others. Yeah, just that we do really impact each other. And if she's there to really serve the clients, and if she actually genuinely believes that it's helpful to the clients to show this, so that there's a sense of you know I am you, and look at what I've done with my life, and you can too. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe she should make a case for it with her the people who are above her, yeah. but to ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not going to be good for the clients for her to be fired. <laughs> yeah, and also that may not that may or may not be the environment for her to serve in. You know, yeah. that's, that'll be up to her to find out, but yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia in Austria, hi, Alanis. How do you create an environment that enables you to hear your inner voice as often as possible and how do you bring yourself to heed that voice instead of kind of forgetting about it because you get sidetracked? Thank you so much. <laughs> That's awesome. First of all, I don't always create the environments, and I don't always heed. <laughs> and eventually I heed, sometimes 12 years later. But um, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, it's not like you're a bad person if you don't listen and heed, and you're a great person if you do. It really is not the case. It's more a case of, for me, on an ego animal level, I feel really good when I listen and I feel really good when I heed even when it's scary. So I'm, it's a very self-indulgent version of service too. You know, I think service is a, is a fulfilling act in and of itself. It is its own reward for me anyway. Um, so in terms of how to create the, the environment to listen in, it could be anything. It could be my taking a swim in the morning. It could be my, uh, taking a hike or, 
journaling or listening to a friend and just telling myself to stop my inner dialogue and actually listen to this person in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. It could be petting my dog. <laughs> it could be talking with Catherine <laughs> or listening to Catherine's genius. It could be hanging out with friends. I mean, there's a million ways to 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 clear the space to listen. And that and that the voice doesn't always come in a little voice. The voice could come in a song that comes on the radio or it could come from a quote that I read when I open a book or, you know, there's, I think this whole planet is one giant tool of divination, you know? Mm. So I really enjoy that as well. Yeah, thank you, gorgeous. Mm. Um, let's see, let's take a call from uh, someone in Connecticut. Hello? Hello? Can you hear Hi. me? Yes, now we can. What's your name? My name is Debbie, and Hi. thank you for this call, and thank you for all the calls that you do. I just, I feel so connected, and I tell people that if they're looking for something like this, that it's an awesome, safe place to be. Thank you, Debbie. And I think my question may be similar to the last question of, like, you want to be in in alignment with your spiritual, authentic self, and yet there are things that happen throughout the day that distract you, and my main goal is to listen to that authentic self and sometimes like how do you get clearer when um with the distractions like you want to get all you want to get a b c and d done but really maybe that's not what you're supposed to do and you're trying to just decipher what's i don't know i guess it gets getting maybe the quiet again but go ahead i'm open i'm sorry (laughs) So so the curiosity is is that you want to know what to do with distraction because you feel that it's important to have a stillness to listen? I'm not sure if I'm, maybe that's, I'm I'm waiting for that next step. Like if I'm quiet, then I'll get the answer. But sometimes you can't always do that, you know, when you have a family and there's things going on around you and you can't always take that quiet moment. Yeah, I think first, firstly, uh, Catherine, you, you can speak to this too. You're a genius. Um, but I, I, for me, the, my immediate thought was the pressure of having to do it, and that that somehow is sort of the the the, the check mark or the right thing to do or the right thing to aspire to puts way too much pressure on us as human beings. You know, there are times where the baby's crying or there are times where your partner's throwing up and they're sick or you're really, really late and you have to hurry or there are certain things that are put in front of you that are, you know, requiring your attention. So I would immediately take the pressure off that life has to look any certain way. You know, and if sometimes the answer can come when you're in the middle of tending to something, when you're in the middle of... um, responding to something that seems like a distraction i would i would support you in seeing the distraction as something that you can use for your you know whatever it is that you want i'd want to talk with you more to see what it is that you sort of feel that you are um pulled to do you know are you pulled to serve are you pulled to um show up for people are you pulled to find clarity you know i'd want to know more about you to speak to this more Mm -hmm. appropriately but you know, I think the the pressure of enlightenment or the pressure of I'm going to meditate every day to to sort of take the to take that pressure off, I think would be my first step. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. certainly there are times when I'm on tour, or there are times where I'm traveling or working, or you know, working 24 hours a day on a video shoot where there's no it's, it would be inappropriate to stop everything <laughs> in the middle of a 
hurdling train and say, let's all meditate for 45 minutes, you know. So, again, I would take the pressure off to start with, and then I would also see that there's there's so many different ways to feel God, you know, if or whatever whatever version of connection to life that you have. Um, and that distractions themselves can become the vehicle by which you can connect with your raison d'etre or your your servicefulness or your presence. You know, I think the most loving action on the planet is offering one's presence to either one's own self or to someone else. Yeah, I think this is a really big question for a lot of us because, you know, modern day life is pulling us in such different directions yeah. and we are kind of living in the age of distraction. <laughs> and and it's a critical question because when we're talking about living lives of authentic power and purpose, really, and starting to own our own authentic voice in the world and really stepping up to cause something, there's a way we need to be connected to a force and field of life that's greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love what you're saying about that, you know, it can come in meditation, but it can also come, you know, as we're moving through the day, doing a walking meditation, checking in, being connected to the deepest part of ourselves as a practice. And I think all of us need to practice that more and more mm-hmm. of what it is to stay deeply connected to our own knowing and to connect it to this force and field of life that's greater than ourselves so that amidst all of the noise of modern day life, we don't lose our way or when we do, because we all will at the course of any given day, to be able to know it and be able to go back to center again and to live from the truest parts of ourselves. And, And I'm not surprised that everybody's asking you this because I think you know, even though you're kind of making it sound, you know, simple. I mean, your your life has got to be really and extremely busy with a million things pulling on you, and yet you do manage to write from the center of you and from your soul. Yeah, and my, yeah there are different chapters um, over, you know, any given year that were particularly distractful and overwhelming, you know, schedule-wise. I mean, ridiculous hours of of work and I've struggled with workaholism workaholism a lot in my life and mm-hmm. easy for me to speak with objectivity when I'm not in the thick of it myself you know being on the phone right now but but to really use all of it you know to use someone in front of me who's upset <laughs> or to to use a, a a conflict with uh you know a colleague or someone I'm working with or to use being pulled on um in any sort of professional environment or otherwise Mm-hmm. you know to see that as an opportunity for me to to live what I'm talking about you know it's how can I apply these lofty concepts in this case when this person's yelling at me or how can I apply you know and not to say that I always do you know there are times where I just lose it <laughs> and, and as best as I can I try to cut myself some slack for being human mm-hmm. you know we're we're doing our best here <laughs> you know Thank you, Debbie. Thanks. Okay, here. How about Ventura, California? Is it uh, Asha? Asha? Yes. Hi, Asha. Did I say <laughs> your Hi. name correctly? Oh, my God. I didn't even know I was waiting on the phone for, to ask a question, but I guess I'll just spontaneously ask a question. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, you raised um, your hand without <laughs> knowing it. Must be yes. destiny. Um, recently I've been trans, um, trans, or thinking about going vegan, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand that Alanis, um, I don't know if you are a vegan, but I wanted to get inspired to, you know, if you have any, um, you know, tips or, or, or things to, you know, incorporate for a new lifestyle benefiting the planet and, and you know, all, everything around, um, what would you suggest or how would I start <laughs> to, um, to start? Incorporating yeah. that. It's exciting. Veganism is a fun adventure, I tell you. Um, and I, you know, I've I've had every version of dietary um, considerations over the many years. So I'm I'm not singularly, you know, sort of righteously on a pulpit saying that veganism is the only way. Of course, but mm-hmm. for those who are willing to embark upon it, it's an exciting journey. A gentleman named Joel Furman wrote a book called Eat to Live, okay. and. Uh, there's a book called The China Study that speaks directly about it. Both of those books were incredibly inspiring for me. And certainly there are, you know, there are a lot of books written by some um, some activists and some some dietary for, forefront of the dietary evolution. There's a lot of literature out there, and it's very exciting. And, you know, for me, in my case, it, it, it sort of got rid of a lot of allergies. And what was exciting about embarking upon the dietary conversation was that it's it was almost like the, the the frontier. I wouldn't say the last frontier, but a frontier that I'd never dived into formally, having had a history of eating disorders. It was a little bit of a it was a little bit of a, a no no environment for me to delve back into. Um, but having delved into the intellectual and the spiritual and the sort of astral cosmic and the professional, totally. you know, it's almost like the dietary food physical part was a big part of integrating this holistic you know this, this desire for wholeness so i salute you and and uh and and wish you the best wow thank you Alana. yeah thank you <laughs> okay um albany new york hi hello hi oh, hi hi what's Mar- your name Marina. Marina, okay. Do you have a question for Alanis? Yeah, hi, Alanis. Hi. Hi. Well, I made you once in Boston, 2008. I enjoyed that concert, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. My question to you, um, like today, for instance, um, I had a Red Cross training with I'm trying to put myself out there to be less shy, and I'm training to be a government liaison. And one of the things we were talking about is that we should be, we need to be more assertive, like, in, in case of emergency, I'm going to be fighting with people, trying to get things done. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, because I've noticed sometimes you're shy, so how do you deal with that? Do you have any advice? Mm. Um, <clears throat> one thing I definitely do is have a lot of conversations with the part of me that is uh, shy or scared. I do it all the time. You know, if I'm about to, even just going on this call today, I could feel myself being nervous, you know, and... Um, standing in the public eye or having to be assertive <clears throat> in some threatening environments. Yeah. So just taking, you know, three seconds or 30 seconds before and just really having a conversation with that part of me that is afraid and saying, is there anything I can do? What do you need? Um, that helps. Um, and also just being just being authentic with your own self, you know, saying to yourself, I'm not used to being assertive and this is really unusual for me. <laughs> And let's just try it, and this could go terribly. You know, it's like you're, this is, it's all about you anyway. It's all about your evolution and your consciousness, you know, moving forward and and at whatever pace that you want, at whatever pace is you're called to to go at. So, 
you know, if you have a new job that is requiring something of you, I find that interesting, you know. It must be some part of you that wants to move further toward wholeness. So just being gentle with yourself as you try on these new hats for size, you know. Yeah, and I would support you in seeing that all these aspects of, of humanness and humanity is available to you and some of them some of them have a lot of muscle and you're used to using them and some of them have been asleep or dormant for a long time. And it might take a little while for you to become familiar with them and to leave a lot of space and room for that. You know, it might take 5, 15, 20 years for you to be comfortable with being assertive, and that's perfectly appropriate. Or it might take you five minutes. You just got on the phone and you sound pretty uh, empowered to me. <laughs> that was a good action to break that up. Yeah, my tummy hurts. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Yeah. yeah. Bye. So, Alanis, I'm wondering... Um, be, uh, we're, we're run out of time, and um, I'm sorry to the people who wanted to ask a question, but um, we're out of time today, so I really appreciate uh, you being on the line, and if you have questions, you can certainly IM them to us, and uh, we're happy to forward communications on to Alanis. Um, but I'm wondering if you can tell us about what you're working on now and how people can get involved and... Mm there's anything that you can invite people into or up and coming that they should be looking for? Yeah, I'm in the middle of writing a book, and it's um, some philosophy, spirit, anecdotal, a lot of photos from international travel over the many years, um, sort of free verse, prose, uh, a lot of photographs, um, book. So I'll be working on that for the next couple, three months at least. I'm in the middle of it. It's very exciting. And then after that, I'll, I'll likely segue into writing another record. And <clears throat> and um, my intention is to have more of the essence of what you've created here, Catherine, which is yeah. a lot more just dialogue and, and really delving into the, the the inquiry and the conversation at hand and doing that in all these different forms through writing, through photographing, through singing and performing and Q&Aing and having well, conversations. We would love to have you back anytime <laughs> you want to come back and talk to us some more with your emerging thoughts or we'll do a part two of the conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Oh, I'm my just gosh. A, a huge, huge fan of you and your, you and yourness, <laughs> Thank you. your whole orientation and, and service and love. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And yeah. um, I just want to encourage everyone to sign up for Alanis's Facebook fan page. You can just go to Facebook and search for Alanis Morissette, and uh, that way you will be updated on all of her activities and what she's up to, and uh, be able to kind of be on the cutting edge of when her book is being released and and if she's coming back on the series too. So, Alanis, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I just adore you, and I love what you stand for. And you know, you just being you is such a profound blessing, and I'm really appreciative that you came on the call and spoke to us about what it's been like for you so that it kind of helps us to navigate our way towards our own profound expression and our own integrity and our own um, ability to really step up and step out in these really beautiful ways that are calling to us. So Claire and I are just profoundly grateful for your partnership and standing with us to really 
foster this conversation out in the world on even deeper levels. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. It's an you. honor to be here. Thanks, everyone, for being such an active, juicy part of the conversation. <laughs> I, feel, I feel less alone every day. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Okay, mm. bye-bye. Bye. Oh, so again, everyone, you can visit alanis.com. She's got a great website with a ton of offerings, really interesting, juicy things for everyone, and uh, alanis.com. And if you are interested in diving deeper into the conversation, I want to invite you to join our Facebook and our Gaia groups where you can participate in discussion forums on any of the topics that we talked about uh, in the series, and particularly today diving into authentic power, stepping up and stepping out in service to our collective evolution. You just go to Facebook.com and search for Feminine Power Global Community or you can click on the link in the email that we sent you this morning. Um, And if you have any friends you think might be interested in this series, please forward them one of our emails so that they can join us. And if someone sent you this audio or you just kind of found it somewhere on the Internet and you'd like to listen to the other dialogues in the series, please go to womenontheedgeofevolution.com. And finally, I want to thank our team at Feminine Power and all of the sponsors who have made this possible, including our event partners, Gaia Community, and the Shift Movie, and our co-sponsors, Integral Enlightenment, Agape International Spiritual Center, Enlighten Next, Next Step Integral, The First 30 Days, Hub Humanity Unites Brilliance. So please join us this coming Wednesday for our next Women on the Edge of Evolution Dialogue and check in your inbox to find out who our next female luminary will be. And I just want to remind all of you who are interested in staying in a dialogue with one another to join our half-hour conference call, which is free, the Evolutionary Women's Cafe, right after this call, where you will have an opportunity to engage live with each other. And it's through the brand new technology of Maestro Conference, and that allows us to meet on the phone together as a group and then to break into small discussion groups to engage together. So if you are interested in joining us today for that call, you can go to your emails and go to your inbox where you have been given a link to register for that call. So until then, I want to thank you for joining us, and now we are going to unmute all the lines so you can say goodbye to each other. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.